Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's motivational speaker Greg Atkinson, who believes that kindness reflects the presence of Jesus in us and can be a powerful force in our world today. Through his personal experience, he has learned valuable lessons about kindness and shares about its impact. Some comments from a recent Meeting House conversation are coming up. Then from a ministry called Seven Pathways, Mary Carmen Englert identifies spiritual disciplines in which Christian believers can participate in order to grow in the Lord and live a more productive Christian life. And on this edition of The Intersection, Mike Napa is someone who has faced grief firsthand through the death of his wife. He offers Christ-centered insight on dealing with that sense of loss and the isolation that accompanies it. Finally, there is material from a recent conversation with Robert Pacienza of D. James Kennedy Ministries in which he addressed areas of concern with regard to freedom of religion. Also in that conversation, he provided analysis of a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling upholding the freedom of business owners to not be compelled to communicate content that violates their religious beliefs. You will be hearing from him coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Greg Atkinson is a motivational speaker and conference organizer who has assisted a number of Christian leaders and ministries and facilitated Christians learning and growing. He has written a book called The Secret Power of Kindness, 10 Keys to Unlocking Your Capacity to Change the World, and provides some keys based on his own personal experience to practicing this dynamic spiritual force, which is listed among the fruit of the Spirit. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Greg Atkinson. For me, it all comes back to the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And it is, for me personally, it is as simple as God in Christ forgave me and I should be able to forgive others. Uh, You know, we serve a a holy God, a sinless God, and God, uh, through his life and death and resurrection and what he made possible on the cross was able to forgive me for my sins and how I have offended a holy God. And um, I'm not holy and I'm not sinless. And so people that have wronged me have wronged me on a much lesser scale. But there's a lot of scripture that backs this up all throughout the Bible of forgiving others as we have been, as we have been forgiven. And so for me, it just comes back to um, living the gospel day by day, knowing who I am in Christ, that I am chosen, loved, forgiven, and that um, I can offer that same kind of forgiveness to those who have wronged me. Whether I think they deserve the forgiveness or not really doesn't matter. I'm just going to have a pure heart before them and before God and release them in my mind so that I am actually free and not held down by bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. And I perceive that you're really sharing that there is a cause and effect relationship between forgiveness, extending forgiveness, and even forgiving oneself, and displaying kindness. So how does forgiveness actually, I guess, manifest itself through, as we might say, the outward outward expression of kindness in one's life? 
Well, two things come to mind. One, it is one of the most kind things that we can do to somebody, and that's to offer forgiveness when we have been wrong. And most people are shocked and surprised when we respond with forgiveness and kindness. So it's a very kind act that we can do. But to the opposite of that, if we hold unforgiveness in our hearts and underneath the surface, we are bitter and angry people and ready to fly off the handle at any moment, we're not going to come across to others as very kind. And what I have found in uh, the months since this book has come out and hearing about the book is uh, most people want to be known for kindness. Most people want to be considered a kind person. And so this chapter really uh, shows them how when we release people from the hurt and anger that they have caused us, when we do not harbor bitterness and anger, and when we um, choose the path of forgiveness, then we are able to live a kind life. And like I said, the opposite of that, I know so many people that come across as unkind, and really there's just, it's the, it's the old saying, hurt people hurt people. They, they are bitter and angry. They haven't let it go. They haven't properly worked through in therapy or uh, in their devotional life what what needs to be given to God and handed over to God and release the people who have wronged you um, from your mind and heart and just hand it over to God and say, God, I need to forgive these people um, and ask for the power to forgive. But um, I have found that those that have done the work, that have processed through this pain and that have chosen the path of forgiveness, they are very pleasant to be around and come across as very kind people. I would like you to maybe key in, if you will, on maybe two or three of the keys that you elaborate on in this particular book. Sure. So I give an analogy of unlocking a lock, and I share a story from childhood at the beginning. But the book has 10 keys. We mentioned that I opened the book with a chapter on forgiveness and share my own personal story and testimony um, there's uh, a chapter on rest that a lot of people are surprised because so much of the book is just full of spiritual uh, nuggets and wisdom and things that I pulled from scripture and people don't often associate rest with something spiritual, but it's very spiritual. And, um, uh, we talk about rest and sleep and Sabbath and all those things in that chapter. There's a chapter on wisdom and empathy and then there's uh, two fruit of the spirit that I bring up, a chapter on patience and a chapter on love, which just like kindness, they are fruit of the spirit. And then the book ends with a chapter on unity and a call for unity. Greg Atkinson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to his website, gregatkinson.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's the founder and president of the ministry called Seven Pathways, Mary Carmen Englert. In our conversation, she discussed basic Christian disciplines that she highlights in the book entitled Seven Pathways, Ancient Practices for a Deeper Relationship with God. From a Meeting House conversation, here now is Mary Carmen Englert. The first one is Thanksgiving, and that one is was just tremendous. And for anyone, when you're going through a rough time, it is just a game changer starting your day with Thanksgiving because it reoriented your mind and your heart towards all those wonderful things in your life, rather than focusing on what's missing or your to-do list. And that just reoriented me towards 
all the goodness in my life. And so that was, that was the first one. And then the second one is silence. Such an important practice in our day and age that we are just inundated with so much noise, whether it be visual, virtual, and we need that space to listen and really slow down. And as that's one of our values at Southern Pathways, to slow down and focus our heart and mind towards God's presence. And that's the second one. Then confession is the third one. And that one, again, is one that's well-known, but probably we, we associate that often with just, oh, I'm, you know, confessing a prayer at church. Or it's, it's, it's one that's it's a bit scary to many people. And um, it's, it's basically just, you know, admitting wrongdoing. And then from that, as it talks about in the Bible, when we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive them. And he mentions that he casts them into the depths of the sea. And I've always loved that image of just what he does with them. He doesn't just say, I'm going to put them aside. But he like throws them in the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. And that's what we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But um, confession, again, that was just something that really God and I did some wonderful business of just just reorienting and cleaning out on the insides and um, I just can't say enough good things about that for others and then the fourth one is uh, song which again that is just a powerful form of connecting with God through the gift of music and in which we can again calm down renew our mind our heart and then this helps anchor our heart towards the thoughts of God and his words and they those songs often put words in our minds that sometimes those things we don't we can't say to him a song can say so well and that's what I've loved about songs you know the Lord used that many mornings I would wake up in those times of the really difficult times of um, experiencing um, pain that he would just have songs in my head and or I wake up listening to um, music. That's what I wake up to. Um, so, and then the fifth one is prayer. Again, that's communicating, listening, experiencing the presence of God uh, in that life transformation. And I would say prayer too is not just for yourself. We included a prayer plan. So it's a um, plan of what to pray for daily. And that includes uh, family members, it, to extended family, to communities. And it's a very structured plan that um, I have continued to pray. And that was a game changer for me as well. And it it really got me out of just focusing on my current circumstances. But I started praying for lots of different people in a very organized, as again, I said, organized way, because it can be overwhelming to pray for everyone, you know, in one day. Uh, So I would break it down into close family members and an extended family and friends and then a community. So um, I think this will be really helpful for people because that can be um, overwhelming, but it was, it has been such to pray for others. I will say brought me closer to the Lord. Hmm. Um, And then the sixth one is Bible study, which is again, it just, that is engaging with Bible reading, meditating on the, the message and then seeking to live the message. And the last one is scripture meditation. And this is quieting your heart to focus on God, to reflect on those truths of the Bible, and then work those into your life. Um, 
So those are the seven pathways, a little summary of them. Mary Carmen Englert here on this edition of The Intersection. The website address is seven, spell it out, sevenpathways.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the Faith Radio website. You can find a link to The Meeting House homepage through the programming menu. At meetinghouseonline.info, you can find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program. You can also find links to the Intersection, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. Plus, you can find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video clips of Meeting House guests. And you can connect to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You can also find content through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcast. Pandora, Spotify, and a variety of podcast platforms. Moving on now on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Christian communicator Mike Napa. In a recent Meeting House conversation, he discussed his journey through grief after the loss of his wife and how God walked with him through that journey, a topic he describes in the book Reflections for the Grieving Soul, Meditations in Scripture for Finding Hope After Loss. Here now from that conversation is Mike Napa. We do come to a point where there is a new kind, a new kind of normal, but I don't think we really understand what normal is because <laughs> yeah. normal before the death of a loved one is is just not the same as normal after the death of a loved one. I think you know when I tell people I wrote this book, they want me to say, oh, it's you know seven ways to get over grief or twenty nine prayers to smack grief in the face, or they want me to help them get over grief. And I've come to the conclusion that I don't think you really ever get over it. I think what is important is not to rush through and get to the end of grief. uh, But I think what's important is to grieve well, to take this experience that every human being has and take that and take the benefit out of it, take the best from it, to grieve in such a way that you're healthier and stronger afterward instead of weaker and, and, and bitter afterward this is a difficult uh, thing to understand because we we want pain to just go away Um, but pain doesn't go away when you have grief when you have deep grief it means you have loved deeply and and loving deeply is something that lasts your lifetime and beyond why would you want to short circuit that and cut that out and so grief then becomes the avenue uh, that we use to um, to remember that we have love to understand that we know how to love, and then we can take that and take the benefits from that. There, I sat down one time and I wrote down, I don't know, 10 or 12, uh, I'm looking at it right now, uh, 12 reasons, 12 things that are healthy benefits of grief. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't just short-circuit those if you want to be a whole, healthy person. When, when she was dying, my wife used to say to me, uh, she'd say, Mike, if you're going to get through this, well, she'd say Mikey because most people call me Mikey. But, you know, if you're going to get through this, uh, you're going to have to go through it. You can't take the shortcut. You have to just keep walking all the way to the end. And I think that's true. I think that's 
positive thing. We can't shirk the responsibility that we have to feel sorrow. Um, we have to be able to take that sorrow, uh, to, to understand it, to become friends with it, and then use it to make us uh, better people who can actually be more joyful, more grateful people. Having the right perspective, a biblical perspective, is so very important. Of course, you recognize the reality of the loss, but as you mentioned, there is something that God is doing and that he wants to do. I think about what Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what benefits. So right. as, as you think about what you have seen God do in your life, how would you describe the essence of the work that he has done now in the absence of Amy, who passed away, as you mentioned to me earlier, September the 11th of 2016, so approaching the seventh year anniversary of her death? What what would you say have been the, the benefits to you personally? How have you changed in, in the process? Yeah, I have—I think I have— a, I think I have more compassion for uh, other people, uh, more patience, because I understand now um, that pain uh, in, impacts everything. And I also uh, I have a better understanding, I think, of God. I think that I, grieving has taught me uh, that God is, is more like, God understands more about me than I, than I had realized. For instance, we would look at, um, I mean, the first time that grief is mentioned in Scripture is God who is grieving, Genesis 6. God grieves the wickedness mm. of, uh, of men. And then we, of course, know that Isaiah tells us Jesus is the man of sorrows. And then we have that moment in Matthew when Jesus is in Gethsemane, and the um, Scripture tells us he's crushed with grief. And then Paul tells us later, oh, Ephesians, Ephesians. Uh, that we should be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And what struck me about this is that all three persons of the Trinity are uh, recognized as grieving uh, in Scripture. I thought grief was something I had to do alone. I thought that was my own burden, that God, who is eternal and powerful and all-knowing, that he never had to deal with that. Um, and yet Scripture teaches me that, that he, in all three persons of the Trinity, both understands and experiences Brief. Mike Napa here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find him online at Napa Land. That's N-A-P-P-A Land dot com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Robert Pacienza, president and CEO of D. James Kennedy Ministries and senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. In our recent Meeting House conversation, he shared comments regarding religious freedom, which is the overall topic of a book to which he has contributed called Stealing Freedom, The Secular Assault on Your Religious Liberty. In the course of our conversation, he also provided insight on the 303 creative decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Robert Pacienza. When we look throughout history and we think about how uh, the, how the nation was built, on, as we've just been talking about, on Christian principles and how it goes all the way back to the Reformation. And then when you look at the modern court and some of the decisions that they had made, uh, particularly in you know making sure that the, the state does not interfere with the church, uh, making sure that the Judeo-Christian worldview uh, was front and center and uh, allowed uh, the nation to flourish, 
Uh, but when you think of some of the decisions, whether it was the decision in 1947 um, uh, or, you know, whether it was some of the other uh, decisions to, you know, for instance, to remove creation uh, as a theory that would be taught in the public schools or removing prayer from the public schools as well. Um, you think about all of these decisions that have been made um, primarily in the uh, 20th century, and you look and you think, you know, is America any better off uh, because of these decisions that were made, uh, whether in the 1940s or the 1960s or even in the 1980s. Um, and you say, absolutely not. You know, when we took prayer out of the schools, when we didn't allow creation to be taught as a legitimate worldview and theory, um, you really do begin to see the, the decaying of um, American values and American morals. And so, you know, one of the things I always challenge our people with, and we address this in the book, is the assault, the secular assault that's been happening for 40, 50, 60 years in this nation that promised true freedom, that if we somehow just break away from the, the shackles of this oppressive religion and, uh, you know, the, particularly the virtues and the values of, of Christianity, we'll somehow be more liberated and more free, but we've seen the exact opposite, whether it's the Supreme Court uh, cases that have come down in the 20th century or uh, whether it's been uh, the secular assault through media or through the university system and public education in America. Uh, there's no doubt that anybody could look back at the last like I said, 40, 50, 60 years and say, we're any better off as a nation instead of flourishing. That was the promise of secularism. Instead, we're floundering as a nation and a society. And we need to go back and say, what happened 40, mm -hmm. 50, 60 years ago that got us in this place and make sure that it never happens again. And the 303 creative decision looks to be a case that has taken the the initial ruling in masterpiece and actually put some you know given it some more weight and really enunciated some of these principles with respect to that the government should not dictate what a person communicates especially in a situation where that communication violates their deeply held religious beliefs to me this seems extraordinarily significant. What are some of your thoughts on the 303 creative decision? It was the her ability to exercise her religion in the public square uh, that ultimately won the day for free speech all across America, and uh, just so grateful uh, that we have a Supreme Court that is recognizing, and I think this is important, that the Constitution is the highest authority in the land, uh, and uh, recognizing that the Constitution uh, cannot be uh, reinterpreted, it can't be um, uh, tweaked uh, to accommodate uh, our cultural norms, uh, but what the founders said is what the founders meant, and particularly when it comes to the First Amendment, we realize that we have many freedoms in this nation, uh, but there is something about uh, first freedoms that we need to remember, and the first freedom is that freedom to exercise our religion without any um, interference from the government. And so when the state stepped in, and the state of Colorado, and tried to enforce 
their law in Colorado on uh, Lori Smith and 303 Creative. I am so grateful that we do have Supreme Court justices finally in our nation uh, that say, no, you do not have the right to tell Lori Smith who she can and cannot serve, uh, that part of her freedom, uh, her freedom of religion, and ultimately her free speech uh, you know, does have the ability to override any government coercion. Robert Passienza here on this edition of The Intersection. You can connect through djameskennedy.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You can also find a link to the Media Center in the programming menu at faithradio.org. Also through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. You'll also find links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, where you can watch video of Meeting House guests. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.